And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Mark Hodges, who during his near-death experience was gone for a thousand years, and today we're going to learn about it. Mark, thank you for joining me and welcome. Jeff, thank you for having me um, on your show. It's an honor to be here. And uh, are we ready to start? (laughs) We are. So maybe you should start with some backstory first. Okay, backstory, yes, we have to have a backstory on this one because my near-death experiences are directly tied into my whole life growing up, I think. Uh, And you'll see why in a minute, hopefully. (laughs) Uh, By the way, this is the first time I've ever told my story to anybody in public, so um, not sure how this is going to go, but I'm going to be as... um, I'm going to try to compress this into an hour or however long we have, because you can imagine being gone from this body for a thousand years. There's no way to cover that in an hour, but we're going to try our best here. (laughs) Sounds good. Um, So we're going to go back to 1971. Um, I was two years old. And I have a couple memories from being two. One is... um, I remember playing in the sandbox with a Tonka truck. The second thing I remember from that, from being two years old was I sat my parents down and I told them why I came to earth. (laughs) Um, I remember like it was just yesterday, like it was happened a minute ago too. And it's almost like I wasn't talking. I, I, somebody sat me down in front of them and, uh, spoke out of my mouth i swear because i don't know how i could have told them this but i have the memory and i told them i came to earth because i had to help deliver a important message to all of humanity one day (laughs) i know that sounds crazy but that's exactly what i told them and i said i had to learn all the languages there were as well um so that's how my life on this planet started as far as i can remember i don't remember coming into my mom's body you know like a lot of my autistic friends tell me they remember that my my autistic friends have told me that they all and these are over a hundred that i can think of in my head they all have told me the same thing that we all even those of us who aren't artistic we all always choose our mother so I have to believe that that's got to be somewhat true because how how can all these people from different parts of the world tell me the same thing and not be true? But I guess that's for your listeners to sort out. But to me, um, that's what they told me. Anyway, so going from there, I... Also, uh, there was another thing I came to Earth for. I had to search for this princess. (laughs) I know it sounds really strange, but I've been searching for this elusive princess my whole life. Um, I I knew that when I came here. I had to find some princess. And uh, I'm not sure if I've found her or, or what, but maybe it was somebody I was with in a parallel life or something. I'm not sure yet. I'm still working on that thing. But those two things is why I came to Earth. So 
fast forward to we're going to fast forward now to somewhere around 1980 it was august i think august of 1980 maybe 81 but i think it was 1980 no 81 it would have been so august of 1981 my uncle and i we're driving a U-Haul down the Blue Star Highway, which runs from Maryland down through Virginia, and then uh, I believe it intersects with I-40 and somewhere in Bristol, Tennessee, somewhere like that. But we were we had the biggest U-Haul you could get, and we were towing a camper behind us. And somewhere around Roanoke, Virginia, we had a flat tire, and back then. Um, there were no cell phones. You couldn't call for help or AAA or anything like that back then. So we were stuck. Um, my mom gave my uncle and I just enough money for, uh, to, for food and gas. And that was about it. We were supposed to drive straight to Atlanta, Georgia. That's where we were going to have a home for a while down there. My parents were getting separated. That's the reason for this trip. So I was about 11 years old uh, at this time. And so we had this flat tire on the camper. So we started walking and we walked for about five miles through the countryside. And we finally came to this farmer's house. And this farmer took us, ended up taking us to a hotel. And uh, to skip forward to the next morning, we woke up and we were we had no money to pay for the hotel <laughs> and it was a motel six too. I remember very well. So we were walking past this. We were, we got out of our room and we decided, okay, my uncle told me we got to just make a run for it. Basically. We don't know what we're going to do. We got to try to find a tire for our trailer or somebody to repair it. Somehow we didn't know how we were going to do that. So we were walking out of our hotel room and we were kind of walking down the sidewalk past other hotel rooms. And then we came to this door that was wide open and this man called out from inside the, the room. And it was just pitch dark in the room. We couldn't see who was there, who was calling us. And he goes, you two come in here. I've been waiting for you. <laughs> um, so we go inside the room and there's just beer bottles and beer cans everywhere in this room and we can't we can't, still can't see him but we can make a kind of a silhouette out on the other side of the room it's a man sitting in a chair this chair uh and i'm not sure exactly where the chair came from because it didn't look like a normal chair like you would see in a hotel room so that's still kind of a mystery to me but Anyway, I'm going to make a long story short. Um, this man um, said that he heard that we had a flat tire on the interstate. <laughs> totally drunk. And he pulled this big wad of cash out of his pocket. And he goes, I just won the race up in Pimlico, the Pimlico race up in Baltimore. And he goes, I have enough money to help you guys out. Um, so <laughs> my, my uncle's like, Okay, that sounds good because we didn't have any money to fix this tire. So he said he was going to help us. So we proceeded to get in the car. He insisted he drive. So my uncle sat in the passenger side of the car. I sat in the middle of the in the middle. It was one of those big 
uh, what do you call those? Not bucket seats, but uh, the opposite of a bucket seat. The big one of those big long seats that you know, you like a more. bench seat. Yeah, a bench, like a bench seat. They don't make those anymore, but in yeah. the older cars they did. And uh, it's probably like some kind of Chevelle or something. I don't know. I can't remember what kind of car that was, but it was an old car. And um, he was, uh, so he said he was going to take us to a, a fiddling stations. And back then, if you remember, Jeff, uh, I know you're about my age. Mm -hmm. uh, you remember those fiddling stations where you had the garages attached to it? Like a, in this case, I think it was a Texaco and they had a garage where you could, you know, they worked on your car, you know, Um so he, he, that was the plan. He was going to take us from that Motel 6 to a shop. He said he was going to buy us a tire there. Well, on the way there, <laughs> I I was helping him steer like this. I, I was helping this guy steer because he was so drunk, he couldn't drive in a straight line to save his life. And he saw this ABC liquor store on the left, and he said, oh, I got to stop there. And he makes this big swerve right in the path of a semi-truck and i i put the wheel and i turned it as hard as i could and we just barely missed being just t-boned by this semi and we got into this abc parking lot so anyway he, he goes inside and he goes remember you can't leave this car i have to get you this tire and we're still wondering okay okay it's cool at all how did he find out that we had a flat tire because that was like 15 miles down the road the other way. I mean, how could he know that was our U-Haul truck and camper sitting there on the side of the road? We didn't, we, it was uh, pretty surreal to us still. And we almost just got killed by this truck. So I know this doesn't have anything to do with the NDE yet, but you'll understand why I'm telling you this story because it's important to know how my life went before the near-death experiences um and this was the first major supernatural thing that had really happened besides me telling my parents why i came to earth that i can recall anyway um seems like everything happens in tens in 10 years 10 it's kind of weird how that works but um, this would have been 10 years or 11 years after i think it's 11 years so yeah 11 year cycles make sense because that's actually some means something in numerology to me too i never thought about it that way but uh because my my life path is a 2911 those of your audience that might know about numerology i'm a 2911 and the 11 means a double creativity if i remember right <laughs> but anyway um that makes sense now 11 okay so he comes out of the liquor store we're still in the car we did we almost decided to get out and run because we didn't want to get killed by this guy so luckily the texaco station wasn't too far up the road and i helped him steer there and we pulled into the gas station where the gas pumps were and back then they didn't have convenience stores like they have now they just had you know like yeah remember the maps the Rand mcnally maps and a few other things in there like some vending machines and snacks and stuff and uh, we were obviously the first people to pull in there that day it was kind of early in the morning we had checked we didn't check out we just ran we never we never paid for that room i don't know whatever happened to that um i was kind of too young to really know or care about that kind of thing i just remembered we didn't we never went to the office and checked out <laughs> 
but uh so um this man stumbled inside this little manager's shack and he said for us to wait here in the car he goes only rats leave the ship when it's sinking that's what he said <laughs> and um he says i'm gonna go in here and get your tire and i'll be right back so my uncle and i as soon as we saw him go in that door to the manager's shack or whatever you want to call that thing we decided we got to get out and go but he had to go to the bathroom so um he went around inside the garage to the bathroom and i kind of hid behind remember those old coke bottle uh, vending machines mm -hmm. <laughs> i kind of hid behind one of those because i didn't want this man to see me when he came out of the door um so while my uncle was in the bathroom i kind of peeked out from behind the machine and here he comes out of the door to the car and right when he got to the car he turns around and just like that he became sober and then he smiled at me and folded his hands like this like a kind of like the genie or something and he just smiled at me and you could tell he was totally sober when he did this uh, he wasn't stumbling or fumbling or anything he was just he looked at me and smiled and he and the car vanished just vanished in the thin air just like that so when my uncle came out of the bathroom uh uh, he goes, where, where did the, where's the man? I said, Uncle Jack, he vanished. <laughs> he just, and I, maybe my uncle thought that I was exaggerating. Maybe he thought, you know, you can say vanished for left. You know, maybe he thought that he didn't seem to really understand what I was trying to tell him. Like this guy literally vanished, like poof. He, there was no trail of smoke. There was no, you know, not, no kind of trail or no kind of, anything when he did this it was just one second he was there and he and the car just poof not there this happened to me and i didn't understand why and this this incident set me on a path in my life because <laughs> uh I, I consider one of myself one of the very first og uh, ghost hunters because to me, that was a ghost. I didn't know what else to call it. Um, we didn't have the internet back then. I, I couldn't go even to the library and look up a book on how to figure out how this man just vanished right in front of me. So going forward in my life, after that happened, I was always able to interact with whatever you want to call this being, what he, angel, guardian, I'm not sure what to call him, but for lack of a better word, we're just going to call him an angel because he helped us. So after that vanishing act, my uncle and I went into this manager shop and we talked to the manager and we're like, did you just talk to this drunk old man that came in here? He drove us from our hotel and he said he, he was going to buy us this tire for our camper. And he goes, no, we haven't had anybody. You're the first customers to come in here today. And so he goes, let me talk to my head mechanic out there. He just got here. Let me find out if he, maybe he talked to him. So he went to talk to his mechanic and the mechanic came in to talk to us. And he goes, yeah, he goes about a week ago today, actually a week ago, this calendar salesman came in here and he gave me a hundred dollar bill and he told me the exact tire to get. And he said there would be a man and a boy to come here, pick it up next Saturday. 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> so that was my first interaction with what I call an angel. And I, w- I would be able going forward to interact with angels, um, it turns out. And I don't know why. I don't know why I was chosen to be able to do that. Um, but I was definitely, I, maybe I needed a little more help than most souls come in here. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm still trying to put all these pieces together even today. My mouth is getting dry. So I really didn't have much interaction with angels my teenage years um, that are worth talking about anyway um but they would be coming back into my life more and more as i became in a, in a, got into adulthood i joined the military after i uh went to high school and i had a very surreal career in the military i worked for the national security agency through the air force and um the uh, the uh, the defense intelligence agency so i understand why i had this career my mom didn't even my mom and i became enemies as i was telling you earlier um because she wanted me to go to medical school but i felt this strong desire to go into the air force um because my soul i i like to fly so i thought logically i have to go to the air force and so but uh, i didn't become a pilot i became other things but not a pilot but i got the career field that I was chosen for um, was very key into who it made me and how it made me understand all this angel stuff and my near-death experiences. It, it's all connected together, just like we're all connected, which I'll explain here in a little bit. Um, everything we do is connected, everything, even a stranger on the side of the road, you think you don't know that person is connected to you in some way. And I'll try to give some examples later on how I know that. So um, now we're going to fast forward to 2008. We're going to skip a bunch of, well, no, actually, there's one more angel story I want to tell before I start talking about my NDEs. In 2002, uh, this was right after 9-11. It was the, the winter of 9-11, but ni- uh, 9-11 was in uh, 2001. This would have been the winter of 2002. Could have been, you know, yeah, it was 2002 because I was out in the middle of a field. I had my telescope. It was kind of a, it wasn't an expensive telescope, but it was a pretty nice reflector telescope. And I had it pointed at, Saturn. Uh, Saturn, that year we had uh, Saturn was had its rings in full opposition to Earth, so the Earth, the rings were facing us directly, so you could see the rings really well that year. So I, it was about midnight. I was out in the middle of this field, this cornfield in Florida, with my telescope pointed to Saturn, and I was looking through it, and all of a sudden this man. We'll call him man for right now. This man proceeded to come out of the darkness. He just kind of, uh, you know, like in Star Trek, when you see people being beamed up and they kind of materialize in front of you, that's exactly how he looked to me. 
from maybe 10 feet on. You just materialize right out of nothing. And he came up to me and he just looked at me and says, that's my favorite planet. <laughs> and I just kind of like, uh, okay, who are you? What are you doing out here in the middle of the field? You know, I, I didn't know it could have been a killer or I, I had no idea at that moment. And he started to tell me that I asked him, well, so what are you doing out here in the middle of the night uh, in the, this field? And he goes, well, I just died four times. <laughs> he had a heart attack on the operating table in a hospital nearby to where I was looking at Saturn, apparently. And he said he had died four times. And uh, he goes, they're working on me right now. Um, but I told them, they couldn't hear me, but I told them, do not save me. I do not want to go back. And uh, now, not sure if this was an angel or if this was somebody like that was flatlined on an operating table. Either one, that's what happened. Um, and I consider that to be an angel because at that time, I didn't know what a near-death experience was. Mm -hmm. Um I didn't understand what he told me. I didn't I didn't put the two and two together back then because I, I had no idea what a, that you could die and come out of your body. I had no idea because we were we were raised in a religion that um some of you may be Seventh-day Adventists. If you are, you know that Seventh-day Adventists believe that when you die, your body stays in the ground until Jesus comes again. That's the doctrine in the church. So in my mind, I didn't think that was even possible. Even if you told me what a near-death experience was and somebody leaving their body, I, I wouldn't have understood you back then. It only took me experiencing it myself to understand that. So anyway, I, I, I think I needed to tell that story to make that point. Um, now... Uh, I never saw this man again, but he he did tell me that he used to be a javelin thrower. So I don't know if he was a Olympian, maybe. He could have been somebody famous for all I know. Uh, I've never gone back and tried to research javelin throwers and tried to put his face with somebody, but I, I think I might now that I remember that. <laughs> anyway, now we're gonna fast forward from 2002 to 2008. 2008, I became very ill, and I'm still ill. I've just become better manageable because of different medications and things. But um, I had 13 surgeries altogether, and I had I was diagnosed with Lyme disease. I got bit by a lot of ticks when I was younger, and um, Lyme disease makes sense to me because... Um, you know, but you know, what was strange is I felt sick all my life. Uh, I felt like I was always come, I was on the verge of coming down with the flu, but I just could, didn't quite get sick a lot of the times. And I guess that was my young, I chalked that up to my young immune system, maybe. And in the military, they give you a million different kind of vaccines. <laughs> you know, people today are compl complaining about this COVID vaccine, but in the military, we get tons like every <clears throat> every year so we were used to, we we're used to vaccines in the military and who knows that some of them could have helped me 
with the Lyme disease, or maybe one of them gave me Lyme disease. <laughs> That's possible too. Uh, I think they, I think, I feel they did use this as guinea pigs sometimes. Anyway, I digress. So I became very sick. Um, they started removing my body parts, my gallbladder, my appendix was first, then my gallbladder. And every, with every surgery, I got worse and worse. And um, while they were in there laparoscopically, they noticed I had this thing called an umbilical hernia, where your belly button is. 20% of males developed this thing at birth where uh, there's a weakness where your belly button is, where your intestines can eventually push out of that weakness and actually come out of your body. Can you imagine? So I they went they saw this while they were in there and they tried to do this really shoddy repair, which made it actually worse. And I ended up having a third surgery uh, to repair this mesh. I had two more surgeries laparoscopically. They put this mesh inside me, they call it. It's that same mesh where you've seen all those commercials on TV, those legal commercials where people are suing the companies of these mesh makers. Uh, mine apparently was not one of the ones on the class action suits, but it still ruined my life. So maybe they'll launch a suit one day. Who knows? But it doesn't matter. I'm way past that. Um, so during my fifth surgery, they actually opened me all the way up from the top of my chest all the way down to the, below my belly button. And they had to untangle it because this mesh is kind of like a net. You know, like you fish with, and it's there. It adds a layer of protection so your intestines can't push out through it, through your belly button. So this mesh became entangled in there, and they had to open me up to try to untangle it. And when they did that, uh, little did I know that they were going to have a hard time intubating me. Uh, I learned years later that I I had one of the worst cases of sleep apnea that my sleep doctor had ever seen. And this is when I started going to the VA in circa 2017-2018 time frame. That's when I found out that I had one of the worst <laughs> cases of sleep apnea, which makes all sense now. Because back then, after the surgery, after my first near-death experience, the doctors uh, came and told me they had a really hard time intubating me. They had to give me like three times the propofol to put me out than normal people get and things like that. And I, I've always been an outlier, they call it in medical terms. I've always been an outlier to medications. Like like uh, some medications, I have the opposite uh, response to it, like uh, cyclobenzaprine, which is flexoril, for instance, that's supposed to relax your muscles. Well, for me, it makes my muscles lock up. <laughs> so I've always been that way all my life. Um, and they had really they had real problems with my anesthesia and during that process of that surgery my breathing stopped um for how long i don't know they wouldn't admit it to me after the fact you know they never just let your viewers know i'm sure they'll all all the ones who have had experience with this know that doctors will never admit wrongdoing especially a surgeon because surgeons have like these god-like complexes that you can't tamper with. <laughs> uh, they'll never admit 
that you died or something bad went that happened. But they did tell me they had complications. That's all they would go. But obviously something happened where my breathing stopped. And when that happened, um, and I was under general anesthesia at the time that this happened. And when my breathing stopped, I shot out backwards through the top of my head. I was laying down and I actually, you know, uh, the best way I can explain the way it feels is if you're in a pool and you grab onto the side of the pool and you put your legs against the the side of the pool and push yourself off real fast. It was like that, but a lot smoother when I came out of my body. And when I came out, I sort of, it was really, it was such a cool feeling. And the first thing I felt was this really strong warmth. This war, uh, it's like uh, anybody who's had any kind of really good narcotics in the hospital would know this feeling because it, it reminds me a lot like uh, I have chronic pain to this day, so I've had to get a lot of different types of drugs in the hospital the last um, decade and a half. So it's kind of like the best drug you've ever had without all the side effects, <laughs> without the nausea, without all that. It's kind of like you just had the good feeling and nothing else. It's kind of like that, but times a million. And what these uh, I've watched a couple of episodes on your podcast, and uh, it's, I've only known you for a couple of weeks, so I've watched a couple, and some people say, or they call it love. Yes, it's love. I agree with them, but it's something you can't describe in any language that I know yet. It's like, it's like, this is like, you feel this warmth and it was almost like I was being embraced. And as I was kicking out of my body, like I had this, uh, it's like somebody was like helping me, holding me. So I wouldn't come out too fast kind of thing. And I was just like, ah, oh, no more pain. Cause up to that point I was in severe pain, you know, the pain was so bad before this surgery, this fifth surgery I had, I was over it. I did not want to be in this body anymore. I was just ready to give up and, you know, move to Oregon and have assisted suicide or something. That's how bad the pain was. But when this happened, there was no pain. It was just like, you know, it was just like somebody gave me the shot of the best drug you can ever imagine. <laughs> and that's how this love they're describing feels. I'm sure they'll be, they would agree with me on this. Um, so you just feel this overwhelming, just over joyous feeling like, oh my God, I'm finally home. That's what you think. I'm finally home. And all these thoughts just come to you all at once. like. I was in such amazement. Like, first thing I remember knowing was our son. I, I realized that our son is like uh, an energy, like a transformer. Our son is like a relay station that relays all this energy from what people call God. I call this entity the infinite one i don't call it god because it's not a person 
it is something it is something that's bigger than i can ever uh, uh, describe it's it's just everything and matter of fact i consider all of our souls as pieces of this infinite one together we all make up the infinite one but not just us not just our souls but everything trees animals every kind of energy in the in the multiverse i call it is part of this infinite one and we're just like little satellites i guess you could say our souls are like satellites for the infinite one he experiences all of our lives all at the same time all at once it's almost like we're in a big game or a big play i guess you could say and we're all playing little parts for this huger uh thing that's that's what i experienced anyway so as this was all happening I was, all these things were coming to me and i was like oh my god i always wanted to know that or i always wanted to know that uh I sort of flipped kind of over and I was looking at myself down on the operating table and I saw them doing some things to me on there. And I was trying to tell them, don't save me. And I, I was doing just like this. I was like, don't save me. I, I don't want to go back there. <laughs> I'm quite fine here. And I, I kept trying to tell them I got really frustrated. I remember getting really frustrated because I was, I didn't want to come back. And after, I don't know, a little while after doing that i started getting sucked back like uh i had this um tractor beam for lack of a better word this tractor beam had me in its sights and it was sucking me back and i got sucked into one of the uh electrical outlets in the operating room <laughs> I, got, I went right into one of those two prongs where you put a plug in i went right through that plug and when that happened, bam, I went through this wormhole. It looked like a wormhole you might see on like that movie Contact where she's going right when that ball drops through that sp those spinning things. That's when I I did. I went through the, almost the same thing, but it was faster. And there was all these colors that were sparkling all inside this tunnel. And they were some of the colors we don't have here, by the way. Uh, I learned later in my near-death experience that uh, only our five senses, uh, we can only, these bodies, we can only see and hear and touch and feel with the senses we're given here. But our spirits have a whole nother set of sensors that we don't have in our body. I don't know why. Uh, maybe our bodies are still being engineered in some way. Um, you know, which might explain all the abductions by aliens or whatever. Maybe they're still trying to refine us to experience these things like what I experienced when I died. So I went down this long, winding uh, wormhole. And I don't know, I can't remember exactly how long that was. It seemed like it was quite a while, though. And I just remember, I, and remember, this whole time this happened, I had the same feeling, this warmth and love, this overwhelming love, like, oh, my God. 
I, this is so amazing. I was saying to myself, I can't believe I'm, this is happening. And eventually everything just went, it went stop. And when everything just stopped and the first thing I saw was somebody looking at themselves in a mirror <laughs> and I was like, okay. Now, when this when this uh, wormhole stopped, in the back of my mind, like in the peripheral back of my mind, I, I had this little vision of myself on the operating table back in Tampa, Florida. But now I knew I was in San Diego, California, somehow. But it wasn't our San Diego. It was a different dimension in San Diego. I, I don't know how I knew that either. You just know everything when you're in your spiritual form. You know everything, everything. The problem is when some people say they forget things when they come back, that is because I can tell you, I learned this when I died. Our brain is like a spirit trap, I call it. Uh, it traps us into this illusion we're living in here. It, it, let, it only allows us to experience things here. Um, all these other extra senses we have outside of our body, um, and we have, I'll try to remember everything, but eventually you do kind of forget things because our brain is wired to forget that, to forget what I'm about to tell you. It, it, it makes you forget where we came from and what we're doing at the same time that we're living this life, because believe me. Wait till you hear what I'm going to tell you. It's bizarre. So, first thing I see, I'm looking out, I'm looking through the mirror, and the first thing I'm thinking to myself is, okay, so I guess the first thing when I'm not, I'm, I'm dead is I'm going to watch somebody else's life go on. Because the face in the mirror was of about a 16 year old boy didn't recognize the face at all never seen him in this life um and after a while i just sat there and i'm like okay uh what is the purpose of this watching this kid and then i realized i was controlling this body <laughs> it was I, I thought i was just looking in on somebody else's life i had no idea why i was there it turns out i was the one in the mirror but I didn't recognize my face. And then I, uh, after I realized that, then I realized where I was in San Diego, another San Diego was six years in the future to this time now in this life. So at this point, I would have been, um, I would have been like 42 years old in this life, but I was 16 in that life. But six years from then, so that would I would have been when that when that boy becomes twenty, I would I would have been forty, uh, forty eight. I'm fifty three now, so uh, let's see, uh, forty eight. When I become fifty eight, he'll be thirty, I guess. <laughs> I still want. Uh, I still want to know what he's doing right now. I have a pretty good idea, but I often wonder. Okay, so 
I experienced this life in, in this alternate San Diego for a while. Uh, I, I knew I was living in a two-story house. It was on a corner, and I can picture it um, right now in my head. If I could look at a map of San Diego, I might be able to, if I study it closely, I might be able to pinpoint it one day. Um, and if I had nothing better to do one day, I'll do that. But what I'm about to tell you, you'll understand why I really haven't done that yet, because it doesn't really matter. Um, so I stayed watching this life I'm living. Okay, now, granted, the, this whole time that this is going on, and we're talking about weeks turned into months, months turned into years, maybe only a couple of years in that life equivalent of this boy. Um, I became 18 and I had this, the last memory I have of that life, we had this party at my house and all these girls came over to party at this house. I was like, I held this huge party there, which when I was 18 in this life, I actually held parties too, like that <laughs> when my parents were out of town, but I did the same thing in this life. It was just a different life, different body. But I realized all of a sudden when this this party is why I I think I was allowed to experience this life because then I realized these interactions with these people and half of them I knew from this life and the other half I had never seen before. It's very strange. I was able to see uh, that this life was connected to this life in this reality and the choices and the things I decisions I made in that life in that alternate reality affected this life greatly greatly and then I realized I realized oh my god I have wasted so much time in my life and I was like, I could have done this. If I had done this, then this would have happened in this life. And and, and matter of fact, when I came back to this body, and I, I say a thousand years, it could have been more, a little bit more, it could have been a little bit less. I just say a thousand because it was a long, long time. But this, okay, so after this life, I skipped, I was, uh, I, I was, I kept, I was kept sh shown. I didn't have a guide or anything like a lot of people have. It was just me. I was like on a self-tour or something. I, I didn't really understand. I just kept going from life to life. Sometimes I was a, sometimes I was a, even a different gender. Like there was one life where I was living, maybe a very primitive Japan and where I was a female. And I was a female in that life. And even the choices I did back then in ancient times, and I and that's how I remember writing Japanese. I, I actually remember writing the characters uh, when I was 20 years old, but I didn't understand how that happened until my near-death experience. And I was like, oh, that's why they look so familiar to me. But anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying not to get into too much detail because I'll be here forever. But uh, the important thing to know about this near-death experience is I was shown many lives across many time spans that are all going on at the same time that you're and I are in an interview. They're all going. It can be 
so there's a 1850 version of me and you right now going on somewhere in some space and i i call some of them uh, sandbox lives sorry my mouth getting dry here um i call them sandbox lives because they're like uh kind of like proving grounds in a way like oh one thing i need to tell all the listeners of this video from now until the future whenever you watch this your thoughts are so important whenever you think about something it happens uh when people say and i've heard people say this that your mind uh, you can manifest anything you want it can't be there is nothing closer to the truth whatever you think happens it may not happen in this illusion but it happens in one of these other lives um, and they're on other planets they're in other galaxies believe me i i went to so many places i i uh, there are schools you can go to jeff there are schools i went to like in interstellar space there are schools you can go to school to learn things like how to create different things like uh you can create different kind of animals or you can create different plants and flowers and stuff or whatever there's school any or you can learn uh about every uh all the different kinds of uh stars and planets and everything that are in all these galaxies you can go to school to learn all that and there, you know there really isn't a time where all this takes place but it seems like forever i mean God, I went to this one school. <laughs> it seemed like for 10 years and I graduated from this school. And then I thought it was so cool because we got this little badge uh, when I graduated this one school. But anyway, sorry, I'm getting, I, I don't want to get into this much detail because we'll never finish. Okay, so this went on. Uh, there was one life where I lived in what's now Scotland, but it's a different version of Scotland and it's a thousand years from now. And I become a politician there and I got in this argument with my opposition, a really bad argument. And I found out how to prevent that argument in like these three other lives over here. And this went on and on and on and on for such a long time. And here in this life, I was probably only dead for a second or two until they got my breathing going again or whatever. But you, you find when you come out of your body, there is no time. It's just like, because everything's happening now. It's not like you go into the future or go into the past. It's all now. Even uh, we think there's a past, like, oh, my grandfather died and you know, whatever. My, my grandfather was born in 1902 and he died in like 1989, I think it was. Or No, he died in 1990 something. He was 95, I think he was. But anyway, he never died. I know that now. He just... Uh, now, one thing I don't know is in my near-death experience, I didn't experience birth. I never did. I never chose to be born somewhere. I don't know why. I, I don't know why. So that's a big question mark in my head now. I mean, I, I knew then. I'm sure I did. But I don't remember coming back into this brain because our brain, remember, traps Perhaps just remember remembering most things, but I I don't remember being born. But 
so that's a question I have, big question I have is when do we choose a new life? Because we've got an infinite amount of lives going already. Why would we choose another life? That's one thing I'm still fighting with in my head now. And when I came back to this body, it took me a good month, solid month to slow everything down because my head almost exploded coming back into this brain because I had experienced so much my brain couldn't process it coming back. And I I don't know how I got through that point because I felt like my head was just going to explode because I had all this knowledge in my head about all these lives. And I was like, oh my God. I. So one thing I can tell you is the biggest takeaway, well, the first biggest takeaway from this experience was when I finally, and I chose to come back here, by the way, nobody gave me a choice or said, no, you can't stay here. No, I don't even know. I just remember saying, I have to go back and tell everybody how this works. <laughs> that was the biggest thing I had. And that's how I kind of knew my mission in life after this first experience, because um, if people only knew what I experienced, there would be no wars. There would be no... Uh, all this negative stuff on this planet, everybody would become best friends, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking. Um, we just got to learn how to love each other and get along. And if if people saw how their choices are affect, affect other lives and all these other places, they would change the way they do things, you know. This is the first thing I thought. And I thought, oh, my God. When you, So when you go through this experience for me anyway, I understood every time that second hand ticks on the clock in this life, you can make a decision that can really change somebody's life. And, you know, it's not, it's not realistic to do that, right? You'd, there's no way you can do that. You'd go crazy. But my mind was like that when I came back. I was like, oh my God, every second I was like, I got to do something because I know this and this and this and this and this and this are, are going on. And I was like, I got to figure out a way to, uh, and I saw how my actions affected other people. And one of the first things I did was I called up, I contacted everybody I ever had a problem with, at least all the ones I thought were really needed to be addressed. I contacted people and I said, I'm so sorry we had this argument. I, I contacted ex-wives. I said, I forgive you and please forgive me for anything I ever did that uh, made you feel bad. Because... I learned it's not, it's uh, it's not the way it's not the good deeds you do here that's not important, but how you make somebody else feel. This is the biggest thing. Also, the three things, three main reasons why I learned why the major reasons why we're here in this life is we have to learn three main lessons. We have to master them. And I've heard you ask other people this, why do you think you came here? What, how is your, how has this inspired you, right? Easy for me, beyond, without a doubt. We have to learn how to love unconditionally. And this has actually posed a big problem with me. Um, one of the first things I did when I, I came back to this body was I went around to all the preachers in my town. 
Baptist, Methodist, whatever. And I asked them, I said, why don't, why doesn't God love Satan? <laughs> I said, if we're, I said, number one, I never experienced hell or Satan or God. It's much bigger than that. It's not a, per, it's not two brothers mad at each other. It's, these are two powers and there is a negative force just as powerful as this positive force, believe me. And really, they're playing again. The These two forces, positive and negative, are, they are clashing, but I don't know why. Because how can you be that evil to not like the good side? You know, the side where it's all love and you feel like somebody just gave you the best drug. Why would you want to be on the other opposite end of it? I don't know. I still can't figure that out in my head. Um, but I know that every time you do take on more negative than positive, you cause like these paradoxes, not only in your life, it goes wide and far. Um, I think of that, uh, quote, I, uh, I later saw the movie, uh, gladiator years after my, uh, no, this was before my experience, I guess. When uh, Russell Crowe says, what we do today echoes in eternity, that quote, that's real, actually. That's real. I experienced that. Um, what we do, everything you do, every second of that clock ticking, everything you think, everything you do, uh, you could be watching TV, or, but if you're thinking something, that's happening. And that is altering many, many lives. And not just your many lives, but other people's many lives. Your thoughts change so much. It, it's mind-boggling to even think about it. And that's what I had to learn how to do. And now I really understand the meaning of grounding yourself. Because if you're not, what I consider grounding now is what I was experiencing. I was stuck in that world <laughs> for a while. And I had to just kind of forget about that <laughs> because the more I thought about it, the more overwhelmed I felt. And uh, the more I realized I wasn't enjoying this life. So if you, um, and um, after this experience, I learned what astral projection was because I wanted to, in searching for how this all happened to me, uh, we had the internet now and I was searching for, uh, how this could have all happened or and I met so many people that uh, showed me things taught me how to astral project so I learned that you don't have to die to experience everything I experienced <laughs> I actually learned I actually did it from a very scientific point of view it took me 56 nights to get my to have my first out-of-body experience uh, without dying <laughs> and then I found oh man yes I could go anywhere I haven't learned how to control it yet, but after my first few astral projection experiences, the experiences were so profound that um, I stopped doing it um, until recently. Uh, I stopped even trying to do it because I'm still processing what I saw back then. Maybe we could do another podcast about those experiences because those were just, if not more profound than my near-death experiences. But uh, I learned so much from just learning to project. A few things to do, I, I do want to say about astral projection. But anyway, 
I'm going to wrap up the first ND right now by saying, okay, eventually I came back because I had to tell everybody these things. One, we have to learn how, uh, we have to learn unconditional love. We have to master that. And when you think about it, it sounds easy at first, but then uh, there's always, uh, you might not think you have enemies, but when you think about it, we're taught by the media, we're taught by different mechanisms, like there's always a boogeyman around the corner, like Saddam Hussein or uh, bin Laden. <laughs> that is not how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to find it in our heart to love and forgive even the worst of the worst. And this is why I went around to all the ministers in my town and asked them, why doesn't God love the devil? I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, if he's, why doesn't he practice what he preaches? So I've actually taken that on as something I want to get to the bottom of more. Um, I, I've, I've been trying to, every day, I've been trying to find people who maybe I used to think were disgusting or, you know, maybe people that we all complain about all the time, you know, these negative people that, uh, stir up trouble on airplanes or whatever whatever's on the news at the moment you know that, that they're trying to make us feel negatively about we can't be like that we actually have to learn how to love every one of us everyone good and bad there is no boogeyman there, there we all come here as spiritual souls that came here to learn these lessons and even the bad the worst of the worst came here to experience that not only that, but I learned that uh, some souls, some of the older souls, I guess you could call them, some of them volunteer to come here to play roles. They're not actually coming here to learn, to master these experiences. They might have mastered this, mastered these things I'm about to tell you, but they come here as kind of catalysts. Uh, an example would be, okay, uh, we always say, how could God let a little innocent baby die or a child die? Well, now I have a different, a whole different thing in my mind. Like now I think, okay, well, maybe the soul inside that baby or that kid came here to teach a lesson. Maybe, uh, let's, let's say a mother and her baby gets hit by a drunk driver kills the kills the mother and the baby or maybe just the baby or maybe the paramedic the paramedics that come to the crash scene they need to get a lesson from that baby dying in love these are all things that all happen for a reason there is no coincidence ever trust me on that everything has a reason and a consequence to wrap the first nd up, and maybe we can talk about the second and my astral projections on another podcast maybe um, we came here for three things to learn unconditional love unconditional forgiveness and what i now call atonement i used to call it sacrifice like the act or the willingness not the actual not the doing but the willingness to sacrifice your life so someone else can live these are the three things we came here to master. And once we master those three things here, uh, and we, uh, 
we graduate for lack of a better word uh, you might want to call it a harvest where you're taken away or whatever and but eventually all of our souls as one big collective meets at this next level of love and you think that love that i felt when i came out of my body was good oh my god i was allowed to experience this next place we're going you might want to call it heaven but it's it would take me years to explain to you this place but just know this is probably heaven what everybody calls heaven after this after we master these lessons here we all reconvene at the next level and this love there is nothing negative happening there this is all positive and it's so awesome and this is like the rough spot we got to get through this part first before we can get to that next level and i'm not sure if it's a game or we all play that we're doing here i'm not sure I, to me it wasn't a game <laughs> some people think it might be a game and but it could be or i, I don't know but i want to get to that second level either whatever this is whatever this life is all about that place i saw and i was able to experience where we're going after this i want to be in this graduating class <laughs> so that's what i tried that's my goal for my time left in this body is to help get as many people in that graduating class as i can to come with me there mark thank you for sharing your experience with us are you saying that we can't go to heaven individually we have to go collectively so we can't go until we can all go no 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 um no eventually we'll all be there together but when we graduate here we go there or um there may be other options like you might come back here on a special mission for example <laughs> you can do that like i was talking about the baby and teaching lessons uh i I don't remember volunteering a lot of those, but I think this life for me is part of it is a special mission like that. Um, and maybe that's how I was able to experience the heaven part, the next level part, because I'm already there. Maybe that to me, that was home. That's where we're going. That's where our goal should be to go. But I must have chosen to come here on a special mission because why would have I, why would I have told my parents those things and why am I allowed to interact with angels and things to me? I have like some special privileges that most people don't have. Um, so I, mean, I don't know something uh, I'm still trying to piece together. <laughs> you didn't describe it. So can you tell us what you saw or what heaven is like? Yeah, I can't describe the kind of love that's there. Like I said, it's indescribable. It's, I've tried to think, I thought about before this interview how to describe it, and it's impossible. Just like the color. But what do I call a color we don't have a name for? You know, there's things we don't have names for. So I can't tell you about the names because we don't have them in our vocabulary i can't even describe it can you even uh, describe what you saw well the things i can describe are what we do have in our language but they're most of the good things i can't describe but 
it's a love the reason we're, we go there the reason we go there is to learn a different kind of love we have different new skill sets we have to learn that we don't have words in our language here for um i didn't see any gold pearly gates <laughs> uh, but everything is perfect everything just perfect i guess you could say um there's there's uh there's trees and flowers just like here there's water there's there's waterfalls i remember those yeah it's just everything's perfect there is no death there is no hatred there is none of the negative things here just imagine the earth without all the neg negative things and that's exactly what it's like um kind of without things i can't describe <laughs> i guess is the best is how i can say it when you were in that body when you were 16 years old in san diego were you like there in the body, but witnessing it, or were you actually living that life with intention? First, I thought I was witnessing, but then I realized I was doing the movements of the body. I figured out it was me inside there, my spirit. Oh, another thing I wanted to say about that is our soul, uh, just like in uh, that those movies, uh, Iron Man, you know how he has that little round this thing that's powering the suit mm -hmm. our soul is no different than that this thing it's just further into our body it's not sticking out but our soul is electric it's very electric it that's how we're all connected is by electricity by this web of invisible webs everywhere all, all everywhere in the universe is connected by you know uh are you familiar with ley lines how ley lines work i know of them i don't know a lot yeah about that's them. how that's how vortexes are created when all these intersecting lines the more intersecting lines are together that's uh, that creates a vortex of energy uh that's like in uh, sedona arizona and off the coast where the uh, bermuda triangle is and all these meccas where all these huge vortexes vortexes are if you look at, just look up ley lines, it's L-E-Y lines. Just Google that and you'll see what I'm talking about, where all the lines intersect, all the major lines intersect. And you can draw these lines from the, the Giza pyramids all the way down to Easter Island. And it just makes a straight line. These are straight lines. And that's how these energy fields work all around us. Um, I'm pretty sure that gravity, which is a big thing on my list to learn more about, because gravity is how we talk telepathically. That's another thing. Uh, outside of our body, that's how we communicate in everywhere is by our mind. Um, I I have seen, I have been in certain lives where I was speaking a language I didn't understand, but telepathically, it overrides spoken language. Somebody could be speaking godly good to you, but it's perfect in here. <laughs> so there is an international uh uh standard uh with telepathy that works everywhere wherever you go everybody can understand each other by thinking and that's how you move that's how you move out of body you, you just think and there's bodies you live in that breathe methane for example here we breathe oxygen but if you're on a planet and, and another 
another dimension you breathe different kind of our bodies are engineered differently to use those elements just like we use the elements here do you feel like you're in some kind of dimension or realm outside of time and you could see all these different lives and then you could just jump into whatever life you want to experience yeah uh, thanks for asking that question because uh one of my messages i wanted to tell everybody when i came back that i learned is there's two types of dreams one one kind of dream uh, I, and I realized this as soon as I started experiencing all these other lives, I realized, oh, my God, I dreamed about that uh, 10 years ago. I, I've been to this place. And um, I wanted to tell everybody how deja vu works, because deja vu is exactly what I'm going to tell you. So not only are we in all these other dimensions and living lives at the same time, but uh there's an infinite amount of those lives going on, it's like a millisecond apart. I know it's really hard to understand or comprehend it. But let's say you're writing a letter and you're on this sentence here. In another life, you could be writing the same letter, but you're either behind one sentence or ahead one sentence. It's that close. And it's even closer than that. I'm just using something so you can see how it works. So... When you get that feeling of deja vu, you might have just been to the place you just stepped at a millisecond ago or a nanosecond ago. And there's all these lives on top of each other, on top of the fact that you're everywhere at once. And it's mind-boggling to really understand it or figure it out. And it's impossible for this brain, the way it's designed, to know all that. But when you come out of your body, oh, my God, you just realize all this. You're like, oh, my God. This is a lot to take in. Uh, also, our DNA has a memory bank in it that, that uh, records all these quantum leaps. It records everything somehow in our DNA. And that um, that's how we can pull from it when we're in a dream state. Um, so in a dream state, you have the kind of dreams where you're running through school naked. Those kind of like your mind working out problems in this waking life. But the other dreams you have, the ones that are really vivid, those are actually glimpses into other lives you're living right now. You know, <laughs> those are actually lives we're living. And they're not some made up fairy tale that your mind is making up. Those are actually glimpses. So yeah, um, to anybody that doesn't dream or they have problems dreaming, you need to figure out how to dream because that's a good way to take a glimpse into these other lives you're living and pay attention to what's going on in those dreams write them down the best you can when you wake up um my for me ever since my second near-death experience happened um my dreams are downloaded at different times uh, i remember some when i wake up but then like 12 hours later it'll just all come whoosh i'm like wow okay <laughs> uh i don't know how that works either but my dreams like have a delay on them sometimes. I won't remember it till I'm not even thinking about it. It's interesting that you say that because sometimes I dream of people that I've never met before. And I uh, even you talk, you. I've spoken <laughs> and I and I've spoken about it with dream analysis guests that have been on the show here. So maybe yeah. it is. I'm just this connecting. is what I know how it works because. And that's how I figured it out because I was able to experience this 
type of NDE. And I, I, I didn't, you know, for some reason, this is my message. My experience was meant to come back and tell how, uh, how all the mechanics work with it. And there's so much more, but we'd be here all night. Um, mm -hmm. But that's one big one. Uh, um, just like your uh, people call them chakras, mm -hmm. chakras, I call them uh, spirit locks or soul locks. Um, they actually are little biological electromagnets inside you that actually keep your soul, your body really close. <laughs> and as soon as you uh, go to the vibrational period, the vib I call it the wave, riding the wave. As soon as the wave comes you know, and the uh, melatonin puts all the muscles into your body asleep. And uh, for me, I, I have this buzz that goes from the back of my head all, or from from right here, it goes, I hear this, like a, uh, that kind of sound. Uh, and then I hear like a, like a, uh, your brakes on a city bus or a big rig. That's how, when they release, that's how they sound inside you. And that releases your body right there. That's how you come out. That's, that's, so when you die, it's the same thing. You, when you die, there is no energy to hold those locks, to energize those electromagnets anymore because your heart's stopping. And that's where the electrical energy happens, come through your heart. And, um, once there's no electricity going to the, the locks, it's just like a, a, a safe, you know, those safes that have those electromagnets. It's hard to crack. Once you crack that, once you crack the, once you cut the electricity, like in Die Hard, remember? That's how they had to cut the whole city grid to get the safe open. Same mm -hmm. thing with our bodies. <laughs> have you ever thought, why do we need to learn these three lessons? Like, are we having problems here or, or is there something that's failing that we need to be, you know, knowing what's, what we're supposed to be doing? Well, um, I think, uh, I've had a little insight into this. Um, that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down into, but basically, um, out, I think this is more of a, a game than anything is, um, outside of all this, even the negative entity and the peop and the beings associated with the negative side will tell you we're all one big happy family. <laughs> and maybe it is like a game. I don't know. But basically, if it is a game, it's just we're we're like on a stage. We're in a stage like, you know, we're going from stage three to stage four. And to, to graduate stage three, we have to do those three things. Um, just like with people, you know, I was raised in my family. My family was raised to say, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Uh, some families don't teach their kids to do that. It's kind of the same thing. I think some of us come here and we already know those things. Uh, we don't really have to learn them. So I think that's why some people come on special missions. But really why? I don't think it's because we're like that outside of here. I know we're not. 
So I don't know. That's a hard, that's a hard question to answer. Now <laughs> we may have to have multiple podcasts because you just threw a new monkey wrench into this whole thing. And that is negative entities. What's going on with that? Oh, I call, I call the negative entity, the family personally. Uh, they're here. <laughs> the negative entity is here. Are they just beings that are wandering around the planet? Under the ground, above ground, outside of this planet. Yes, for <laughs> sure. Are they just here to cause trouble or what? Absolutely. Whenever we see famines and wars, and uh, these people print all the textbooks, they own all the news media organizations, they run Hollywood. <laughs> So I'm going to probably get knocked off now by some hitman. <laughs> uh, I say Hollywood kind of lightly because in a lot of movies, I see a lot of things that I experienced when I died. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of things like how could this producer know or how how could the writer know this? Uh, you know, I'm like, this is something that we don't know about yet, you know? <laughs> do you think that the movie The Matrix isn't has anything to do with what you saw? Mm. Yeah, I've seen all of the Matrix movies um, before my near my first near death experience and my first astral astral projection experience. There are a lot of parallels to that, a lot of truths in that. Um, yeah, I've heard you ask other people too um, if this is if. Uh, uh, life out of the body is uh, more real than this life. Absolutely, yes. 100%. We are living in, I call it an illusion. Ever since I got back to this body, I said, we're living in an illusion. <laughs> Some people say hologram. Eh, it might be kind of a stretch, but definitely this is an illusion we're living in. Like, uh, Think about it. Our eyes can only see the frequencies we're meant to see. There's so many more frequencies of light. You know, how about animals that can see in ultraviolet, ultraviolet light? Or uh, there's so many more spectrums. And there's even more spectrums that we know about right now. There are other spectrums. And that's a whole another podcast right there, just mm -hmm. about the frequencies. Because I learned that there was a... There's sound frequencies. We don't even have instruments to measure here. That's interesting that you brought that up. Do you recall hearing anything in heaven? One of the things I can tell you when I was going through that wormhole, there was, uh, wasn't really music. It was more like chimes, I would say more than, but very beautiful melodies, but not like music we have, we know about here. It's different, but as far as the sounds and the next place we're going, I, I don't have too much of a memory of details like that. I just, I just, my main message is to tell you that this place is amazing. And I had to tell everybody, this is where we're going once we graduate. And there is no negativity. It's only positive things. And it's a different kind of love than we can ever, I can ever explain to you. As far as music there, I can't give you anything that I remember as far as music goes. I, uh, and that's, that's really weird too, because I come from a very musical family. If there, if that was a big memory, 
you would think that would be one of the first things I would remember. Um, and, you know, I've always been using the synthesizers and composing music. Mm -hmm. That's actually what another thing I want to do the rest of this life I have in this body is mm -hmm. to uh, create movie scores and TV scores for TV shows. I've always wanted to do that my whole life. I've always, but I just haven't had time yet. Um, or the studio I wanted. <laughs> I became sick when I was 38, so it ruined all that for me up until now. <laughs> but I had a, I had a, I was a, I was a manager at, uh, I was a software development manager when I became sick in 2008. And I somehow made it until 2013 before I got so sick I couldn't work anymore. But um, that's a whole other thing. But yeah. Uh, that's something I really want to get into eventually. But no, I wish I could tell you about the music. I have no memories of any music in that place at all. Just it was so beautiful and so immaculate. Everything was symmetrical. It was like perfect. Everything's perfect. And the love is so incredible. I don't know how to describe it to you. <laughs> when I figure it out, I will let you know and your audience know, I promise. I do want to get more into astral projection and go back there because you can go there. You don't have to die to go there. Do you fear death at all? Absolutely not. We don't die. Well, as far as I can tell, our souls are immortal. They're immortal. And um, yeah, no, we don't die. I'm telling you, I, I've died twice. <laughs> well, I, I, my body died twice. <laughs> Our spirit that runs this body, that this body is just like a, a one of those mech warriors, like or like uh, those movies, uh, Pacific Rim, the big, you know, there's two guys, two girls in there running this big mech warrior. Our body is just like a mech warrior, and the people inside are the spirits. Our this, our souls are no different than that. These bodies are just biologically created. And we jump in, we come into them. Apparently, we come into the top of our head, which explains why I popped out through the top of my head. <laughs> my autistic friends tell me we come in through the top of our head when we come in. And right before we're born, that's why there's no breath at first. Because we're waiting for the soul to get in there to power up the body with the electricity. <laughs> Mark, due to time, I'm going to have to switch gears with you. And hopefully, if you're willing, we need to get you back to do your second NDE, Definitely. your astral projections, and and more. Yeah, there's so much to tell just from one from astral projection experience. Oh, my God. You don't even have to go anywhere like to experience astral projection. Uh, it comes to you. I found. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can tell you uh, how the t there's actually a data stream. You can see it if you, I'll tell I'll, a little teaser for the next one. Uh, if if you close your eyes and you see these little white dots streaming, the little white dots. If you look real closely, right where your third eye is, you'll see these little streaming dots, these little white dots. And if you kind of cross cross your eyes with your mind that becomes that data stream becomes a TV screen. 
and then you can watch what's going on inside that TV screen. I think this is how psychics see things. Uh, that's not how I see things because um, you ask some of the guests I heard you ask, uh, do you have, you have any special abilities? That's, I didn't get that from my near death experience. I think the, some of the things were turned on for me, but in my astral projection, I actually activated this uh, when I first projected or I first had my experience. It activated this TV screen because I realized that was a data stream. So we all have this data stream. It's going nonstop. So our body's kind of like a giant antenna, <laughs> I guess, in a way. Um, and we pick up signals from everywhere. And we can see what's happening everywhere through this little TV screen. It's a constant data stream, which is uh, the same uh, real, uh, real fast. If you've ever a uh, uh, good example of a very uh, low level telepathy would be um, you feel like somebody's watching you and they're behind you. You turn around. Sure enough, somebody's watching you. Well, all that is the reason you get alerted is because between all of us, is an electromagnetic field, two two fields. One spins clockwise like a high pressure, and one spins counterclockwise like a north hem northern hemisphere, uh, high and low. Uh, gravity and magnetic fields spin the opposite direction. Magnetic fields spin clockwise, and gravity spins counterclockwise. So when that field that's created between all of us is interrupted or disturbed that's when we feel that disturbance that's what makes us turn around <laughs> and i actually figured out how to use telepathy in this body uh, i i found a very primitive way to get it to uh, to initiate it but i haven't figured out how to open a full communication but i have spoken telepathically in this body before but I didn't initiate those conversations. Those were initiated by other beings of the family in this case. <laughs> After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you up oh, for yeah, that? Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. I expect it. Matter of fact, uh, tonight, of all nights, I'm actually, it's taken me a long time to do this, but I'm launching my Old Scrolls YouTube channel. It's called Old Scrolls. S-C-R-O-L-L-S. My mouth is so dry from talking to you. Tonight I'm launching my channel. Um, in my near-death experiences, in, in my astral projection and just meditation in general, I've, I realized a long time ago that I wrote these ancient languages and other lives, other lifetimes. Remember, not necessarily a long time ago. They're happening right now, too. Um, like there is no time. We think literally, but a, uh, an ancient language is being written right now while we're talking. Uh, but anyway, this the goal of this channel is to uh, awaken or get these light bulbs to come on in other people's souls from watching or learning and learning ancient languages with me and interacting with me. And while we're while we're learning these languages, we're going to be discussing my near death experiences and everything I experienced. So. Even if we didn't have another podcast uh, between you and me, your listeners will be able to come to my channel and hear more about my experiences in time. Uh, also, we're just going to talk about everything paranormal, supernatural. We're going to discuss how things might be happening, you know, 
in a philosophic kind of way, uh, ma uh, making some logical deductions, you know. <laughs> All right, I'll based put on, based on what I know. I will put a link to your channel in the description. Yeah, I'll give you all the links on my Facebook. Probably the best way in the beginning is just to connect to me through Facebook. That way um, they can see my announcement there for uh, YouTube and go from there. But I'll send you all the links to my social media so people can stay in touch with me. And by all means, I would love that the more the merrier. We need to get as many people... Uh, on the same page as possible in my eyes. <laughs> All right. you know, the more people that know this, the better, and they can spread the word because those of us who know this information are going, this body is eventually going to die. And I, another big purpose of this channel is to save a record of all this information so it's never lost again. Um, we've had civilizations like Atlantis, for example, uh, that have, we've lost what we already knew we've lost it and the negative side they hold all this information a lot of it and they're not giving it up so we have to we have to get it where we can and i think that's a big reason for why i came back to this body i chose i chose to come back here because i did not want to come back trust me i did not want to come back here so i every day i wake up i just say i i tell the infinite one or I ask everybody, I'm like, what is my purpose today? What should I be doing? And it's very frustrating sometimes because um, I know what's out there. And um, it seems like sometimes it seems like nobody is really doesn't even care about this. But they should be. If only they knew what I knew, they, they would care more. And that's my goal is to spread more awareness. Because it's not... It's not trying to, I'm not, I don't want people to believe what I'm saying or believe what all your other guests are saying. That's not the point. The point is that we all have these abilities and it's a percentage of positive and negative in the universe. The negative people only want to get 1% more than the positive side. This, this, this is kind of like the game they're not trying to convert everybody to the dark side. They're only trying to get 1% more than the positive side. This is the goal. And really, as far as I can tell, there's many houses, they call them houses. And these houses sometimes are for each other or against each other. It's like a, it is like a big game when you think about it that way. But yeah, we're only trying to get one like when you hear light workers, that means we're trying to get the light, a little bit more light than the darkness, to tip the scale our way, just a little bit. <laughs> well, before we finish up, can you give us one last positive message? Yes. Pay attention to everybody around you every day. Even people who you might normally think, uh, uh, maybe like a homeless person, oh, you say, oh, man, look at that poor soul, or Pay attention to that person. Pay attention to everybody that you're at a restaurant eating dinner with your family. Pay attention to all the people around you. They're all connected to you in such amazing ways. I can't even tell you right now because it would take too much time. But everybody in that restaurant with you or in that store you're shopping in or in the hospital, wherever you're at, those are 
everybody, every single soul that you see is connected to you. And some are angels. Uh, uh, usually, um, for some reason, the, the angels or help or guides or helpers that I've been able to interact with so far, they come to me either as drunks or janitors uh, or homeless people. Those three things. Hmm. Uh, those are people you normally don't even pay attention to when you're walking down the street. You're just like, oh, yeah, somebody's living in a box there. Stop. Say hi to that stranger. Uh, if you're at the if you're at doctor's office or in a waiting room, talk to the people around you. They hold secrets to your life sometimes. <laughs> Mark, thank you for that message. And thank you again. My pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for having me, man. This has been interesting. First time I've ever talked about this. It's weird. And now we know it takes a long time to talk about these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks again, Mark, for being my guest. All right. Later. Until hmm? next right. time, my friend. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.